Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey everyone, thank you for joining me today. This week I am talking with Doug Gould of Worship MD. Doug is a tech consultant who works with venues all over the country, helping train them and running their sound equipment and getting the best sound out of their gear and their room. He specializes in working with houses of worship and getting sound teams and worship teams to work together and create the best environment for people coming to worship services. Doug is also the artist relations rep for different musical companies. We are discussing training volunteers to run sound in churches, what a worship MD weekend training event looks like, and the difference in communicating with people in various types of venues. Please enjoy my conversation with Doug Gould. Hey guys, I am hanging out here and talking with Doug Gould of Worship MD. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You and I have been trying to get you on the show for about three or four years now, and uh, schedules just are busy. And you know, and that's part of the music business. That's one of the things that we talk about a lot on the show is that with scheduling and you know, you're trying to figure out how to get people onto certain things or be a part of certain things. And sometimes you just have to be really patient and wait and wait and wait your turn until you can finally connect and get people together. So thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Thanks for asking me. My pleasure. So you're in New Jersey, is that correct? That's right. Don't tell hold us, that against me. A- uh, well, I will not. Um, <laughs> uh, tell us where you're from in, in New Jersey, where you live, and a little bit of what you do with Worship MD, and then we're going to back up and kind of start from your journey sure. and go forward from there. Okay. Well, I, I live in New Jersey now, but I grew up in New England, and um, I ended up here because uh, my wife had gotten a transfer to New York City. I could actually live anywhere east of the Mississippi uh, because I was a regional manager of Tascam at the time. But um, so we moved to New Jersey and uh, I've been here ever since. And um, Worship MD is basically a a company that I created after Sure Let Me Go. And we'll get into that as we talk more about it, how that happened and how Worship MD got created. But basically it's a market development company, a freelance independent uh, market development specialty that focuses on the house of worship market to build bridges between the industry, audio, music technology, and the church. And my main activities are teaching. 
that's how I get in front of volunteers at churches to teach them, give them a leg up on how to do things in audio or, or with a worship team better because they probably haven't done this as a professional. They're not vocationally trained to be sound engineers or worship leaders yeah. or musicians. Yeah. So I'm trying to give them some of the uh, tips and techniques, some shortcuts perhaps, so they don't have to go back to school to become an audio engineer. Yeah. And you know, just learn the basics of what makes for a good mix, relationships, communication. And I did that. Seven years at Sure, and I did that, you know, for up until 2019 when the pandemic hit, 35 conferences a year. And then 2020, 2021, I did five in 2020, I did five in 2021, and the business basically imploded. By the end of this year, I will have done 20, and it looks like it's coming back stronger next year. So, Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that, that things are getting back to normal for yep. you. Um and such, one of the things that I love about what you're about what you're doing with Worship MD is that because I'm a worship pastor and I'm a guest worship leader, so I go all over the country leading worship for churches and doing things like that. And um, you know, the majority of churches do not have professional sound sound guys, sound teams, or production teams, or whatever. You know, that's that's the large churches or the mega churches or whatever that have that real high end slick you know, right. professional kind of look and feel to it. Um, but the majority of churches don't have that. And so it's really nice. And I've, I've worked with a lot of those people in those types of churches that are just kind of, you know, figuring it out as they go. And so I've kind of done a little bit of what you've done and kind of help people along the way and try to help make them understand some certain things. But um, so it's nice that there's someone like you that is out actually training people and, uh, you know, helping people along kind of come up to where a certain level of certain standard if if you will i guess um of quality and of sound so yeah. that because we don't want we don't want sound to be uh a hindrance or a, distru a disruption right. to to a congregation you know and that very easily and it's as soon as there's a problem you know everyone turns around looks at the sound guy right and makes <laughs> them feel like a heel you know like this horrible person because they hit a wrong button or they don't know how to run a fader or whatever it is right right <laughs> so, no, it's true. And I'm glad you're doing it too, man. It's because yeah. the more the merrier. Yeah. I mean, like you said, the majority of churches, like 98% of the churches do not have trained musicians or tech staff. Yeah. Now, even the yeah. person running lyric projection, you know, I, I saw the last slide for the last five minutes. Can you please advance to the next slide so I'm ready for the lyric? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I even think yeah. musicians would be better lyric presenters than some of the people we have doing it because they know how to look ahead, right? Right. So yeah. just little things like that. And then sure. communication, of course, between the teams, how do they communicate with each other? Yeah. So. Well, we'll talk more about that here in a few minutes, but I want to back up and kind of okay. walk through your story. Um, tell us where you where you came from, what got you into music, and how you kind of worked your way. I know you've done a lot of different things throughout your career over 30 plus years now. Um <laughs> that got you to where you are. So uh, we'll talk about some of the different things that you have done that have kind of worked you up to up the ladder to where, to what you do these days. Okay. When people look at me, they probably think of me more as a sound tech when they're at a class at a worship conference like that, but I'm primarily a musician. I started playing piano at seven years old because my mom was a professional singer, could play anything, Chopin, Litzt. She grew up in a musical family. My grandfather was a band leader and director and so it was no choice. You know, you're going to learn to read and write. You're also going to learn to read and write music. So at mm -hmm. seven years old, I was enrolled in piano classes and didn't didn't like it. 
for right. two, two years maybe. And then all of a sudden the Beatles came on the scene and I was hooked and just started wanting to play more and more. Wanted to be a rock star when I was a kid. Played in bands in high school. Um, then at the end of high school, I didn't really, even though I tried to go to music school, it wasn't for me. And Vietnam was happening and I knew I'd be drafted if I left school. So I en enlisted in the Navy. In the Navy, I was in there for four years. I was assistant to a hand surgeon, believe it or not. Wow. Did tendon transplants and amputations. Wow. And oh, goodness. I thought I wanted to be a doctor. I was teaching residents how to suture. <laughs> wow. So if not a doctor, at least a physician's associate. Yale had offered me a free program because I was a military medic, and uh, they were looking for that. The training that we got in the Navy was, you know, very practical and uh, you don't find that in the civilian life too often where a, a, a medic who's not a doctor can actually like put cast on, read x-rays and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, soon after I uh, enrolled in college, somebody said, do you want to be in a rock band? Oh, wow. <laughs> just, <laughs> just random, right? And I said, yeah, that sounds a lot better than school. I'll do that. Yeah. So I played in rock bands. I worked in hi-fi stereo shops. A lot of my chops for audio came from working with professional home sound systems. Okay. And playing in bands. Uh, and then at 30 years old, uh, my girlfriend and I got saved. I was Amen. going down the wrong path with the rock band. A lot of on-the-job hazards, if you will. Right. That were abusive to me and to people around me. And... Uh, this pastor who had been witnessing to me for two years, even though I didn't want to hear about Jesus, finally got to me, and I went to his church and fell on my knees before God and asked him to come into my life. Amen. Got married, and then uh, had to get a real job. I couldn't play yeah. in the rock bands anymore, so I worked in a music store called Center Music in Newington, Connecticut. And I was there for three years, and uh, a rep firm had asked me to come to work for them because of my sales chops. And I was a JBL, Harmon rep, uh, Soundcraft, Kramer guitars when Eddie Van Halen was still playing them, yep. uh, Audio-Technica microphones. And I did that for about three years. And I was getting a little worn out because I was going all over New England, which is not a big territory, but I was in the process of having children and I was making money, less money in my third year than it was my first year. And, and I got to do something to get better here. I remember going to a music store and went into a, one of the bathroom stalls and there was an old music industries magazine there and i um, looking through the classified and um, there was a company called emu systems. I don't know if you remember them. They made products like the Proteus uh, SP 12 drum machine, uh, Emacs samplers, Carrie Livgren from Kansas used an E3 sampler. They're pretty popular synthesizers and samplers and I'm a keyboard player. So okay. I said, well, this job looks great. So then I closed the cover of the magazine. I noticed the magazine was like eight months old. I said, oh, man, I'll never, I'll never get this gig. This gig is long gone. But I sent my resume in anyway. Next thing you know, I'm getting an interview, wow. second interview, third interview. And I got the job as Eastern North America Regional Sales Manager for EMU. Okay. The problem was they had me on the road four weeks a month, and I had two little boys at home. And so my boss at EMU, who was originally at Tascam, went back to Tascam and he said, hey, they're looking for a regional for the East Coast. Do you want it? I said, okay, I'll interview. 
So the interview came and they offered me less money than I was making, but I hit them back with this. I said, look, I'll take less money. In my mind, I knew I'd make more money eventually because Tascam was just a much larger company. Sure. You know, all the tape recorders and stuff that they made, I knew it, it would be a matter of time before it was doing okay. And I said, but I want this. I want to only travel two weeks a month. I want to be home with my boys half the time. And they could let me live anywhere. It was a remote job except for the travel. And they accepted. And I was there for 10 years <laughs> until well, 9-11. Okay. November after 2001. And I was getting remarried to a woman I met in church with six kids. And we were signing on a house in three days after I lost my job. Hmm. I called her. I said, I think we better postpone the wedding. She goes, you're not getting out of it that easy. I got six <laughs> kids over here. <laughs> <laughs> and I had two kids, so we had eight yeah. blended family. And uh, she says, you're going to get the best job you ever got in your life. I said, oh, man, I don't know. I went to NAMM show, had 14 interviews in January, came back with nothing. But one of the interviews was with Sure. And then they asked me for a second interview. And then the third interview, uh, they, they called me back and said, when can you move to Chicago? I said, I told you in the first interview, I can't relocate. I have a co-custody situation. And they said, well, we'll have to go back to the board and talk about that. They called me back. All right, we're going to hire you. What's my position? We don't know yet. <laughs> we just want to hire you. Wow. And that's the first time I've ever heard that. I, I was yeah. thinking it was going to be another sales job because that's all I'd ever done. But when they came back with the title of U.S. Market Development Manager, I didn't even know what market development meant. I didn't know what okay. that was. I'm not a marketing guy. And they said, well, it's basically the same as sales, except you're not going to sell. You're going to go and inform people of what the applications are of our products to groups of people who might want to know more and get them resourced. And there's a bunch of verticals in that. There's touring, there's install, there's theater, there's education, there's government, there's house of worship. And then, bing, mm -hmm. house of worship. I can devote time to any of those verticals. It would like you to cover most of them, but some of them are going to require more attention than others. And I soon found myself spending more and more and more time over the seven years I was there as the house of worship guy. Okay. Because they needed the most help. What am I going to go to a studio and tell them how to use mics? Right. You go to a theater thing. And where do people from church congregate to learn at worship conferences? So I didn't have to knock on the door of 350,000 churches. Mm -hmm. But I remember the CEO called me to his office one, one day when I was at Sure for a quarterly meeting. And he said, Doug, you might not be prepared, but I want to find out why you're spending an inordinate amount of time on the church. And I didn't have any facts or figures, metrics with me. I wasn't prepared. But I did see a big Chicago phone book on his desk. I said, well, what verticals would you like me to, to cover? He said, well, how about theater? I said, open the book to theater in the Yellow Pages. When they, you remember Yellow Pages? Oh, yeah. Oh, I grew up on the Yellow Pages. <laughs> and it was, there was like two <laughs> columns of theaters in yeah. a big city like Chicago, two columns. Okay, how about recording studios? Even less. All right, how about education? The blue pages for education, you know, pretty thick. Mm -hmm. This is go to churches. <laughs> yeah. Almost the whole phone book, right? Right. I, said, I yeah. guarantee every one of them has a PA system in it yeah. and a person who doesn't know how to run it. Right. 
Yep. And a musician who doesn't know how to relate to the sound system, they need help. And that's yep. why I'm doing this. He said, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so then they put me in charge of artist relations for the stuff too for a while, even though it was a side job, it wasn't my main job. They wanted me to find the worship artists who could benefit sure as influencers. And I said, and I told them, I said, you don't have anybody right now. Sure we do. We have, you know, Kirk Franklin, we have, you know, uh, all these urban gospel bands, which is great. I'm glad, but you don't have anybody from any other genre there. They said, well, go and find us someone. So I went to the Dove Awards. We equipped the whole stage with sure mics and have been ever since. And Mercy Me won their first Dove Award. And I said, let's sign them. And then I signed Chris Tomlin. And then I signed Lincoln Brewster. And then I signed Crowder. And I signed <laughs> yeah. bunches. Of, and they gave them an ad. They were personality-driven ads. And, yeah. Uh, let me ask you. Let me pause. Uh, yeah. Take a break. Sure. Let me yeah, break just for a second here, and I want to go back and talk about uh, the Dove Awards. Okay, with you, you're talking about Sure installed all the the mics, so the Doves are using Sure brand mics for for the award show, right? Yeah. Um, how did you get that? Like, how did you go about reaching out to them to say, "Hey, we want the Dove Awards to use Sure mics," and can you ex explain how that worked and why, you know, why they said, oh, yeah, let's do that. Sure. Yep. Well, sure, it had some limited uh, experience with the Doves before then because we have an installed artist relations guy named Ryan Smith who works out of um, Soundcheck. Okay. Got an office there. In Nashville. And I told him we had an opportunity to do the Doves because I knew somebody at Gospel Music Association. He said – well, what do they want? I said, I think they want all the drum stages with Shures and probably wireless. So did Gospel Music Association reach out to you guys saying we want Shure mics? Out, I reached out to them. I was proactive. I said, okay. we'd like to be involved with, with the Doves. Is there any way we can help you guys? Okay. Um, and they said, well, we could really, we're typically having to, to rent from a sound company all the mics. So if you can supply microphones for us that would be a, a big help i see so we did that and i think we had eight stages of sure mics that yeah. were rolled out for each band and right um but ryan took care of most of that he that was his gig in nashville he's doing country music awards he's doing all that stuff so we supplied the mics and i think they have been it's usually shared microphone because some people are endorsing mics so you might have sennheiser and audio technica and some other ones involved but sure did all the drum stages for sure okay thank you i just wanted to yeah for people listening they're like oh we want to work in this particular area like how do we start how do we reach out to a certain company if we need yeah. them to supply something or we want to supply something to them whatever kind of what that entails so i appreciate you sharing that yeah, there's a non-church thing that happened with Ryan and me. He asked me one day on the phone. I was living in New Jersey. He says, Doug, how many Sure Beta 56s and 57s do you have? Which are drum mics, dynamic drum mics. I said, I don't know. I got probably half a dozen of each. He goes, can you get up to Madison Square Garden today? I said, for what? He goes, the Who lost their drum package. And I need mm -hmm. you to bring some mics up. I said, sure, I'll do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Knocked on the door. Guy met me. I went out, gave them the mics. They set them up. I went out to front of house 
And in an empty Madison Square Garden, watch the Who sound check won't get fooled again in front of my very eyes. It was like nice. <laughs> exhilarating. Wow. And then he asked me to stay for the show and sit right next to him at front of house. It was amazing. So that's cool. Yeah. So that's there's awesome. some benefits. <laughs> yeah, <be> absolutely. <laughs> that's super cool. Um, and so you're working with Sure for a while, and I love that you're working with. Um, you know, going around and working with the churches, but let, let's let's walk out of that for a second and talk sure. about the other the other venues that you did work with. So, like mm-hmm. theaters and recording studios. Granted, there's not as many, which you talked about. Right. The Yellow Pages not ha- just not they're not being there. Um, but you're going all over the country doing this, right? Yeah, my so, travel budget so, was a hundred thousand dollars a year. Okay, well that's not too bad. Just for travel, <laughs> right? <laughs> not too bad. Um, so when you are working with other types of venues uh, or companies to do this, um, how different is it from working with churches in this capacity, or is it different at all? Yeah, it is different. I mean, even when you're writing articles, you have to have some different terminology. It's not an audience. It's a congregation. Sure. It's not a stage. It's a platform. Yeah. So there's, there's certain things that are, are going to have to be written a specific way. Now it comes down to the actual technical things. A fader is a fader. I don't care if you're in the secular or the sacred world, a high pass filter is a high pass filter. That doesn't change, but who they are using it for changes. And and the communication is different too. Okay. Uh, So can you talk about that? Like how do you communicate with someone who's working at a theater versus someone who's working in the sound booth of a church? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Typically, the guy in a the theater knows what he's doing already. Okay. <laughs> so I don't have to spend as much time going over basics like don't mix with your inputs, mix with groups. <laughs> you know, right? High pass everything. I have to explain what a high pass filter is to a volunteer. They don't know not to turn them off and to eliminate all the rumble and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They don't know that even though my digital mixer has compressors on every channel, why shouldn't you use all of them at the same time? You know, so when I'm talking to a theater guy or a professional touring sound engineer, a monitor engineer, uh, somebody in a corporate AV world, those people kind of know what they're doing already. I have to start from the bottom of the barrel to teach these guys what sound is, what microphones do, how they transmit energy into the mixer, how it comes out of the speaker, where to put the speakers, Mm -hmm. where to put a microphone so it works better. Uh, so you don't have to do as much work at the console. All the theater studio guys, they know that stuff pretty much already. I'm not going to teach them anything they don't know. And, and again, I'm not an engineer to take them to that next level. I'm primarily a musician who's trying to help volunteers learn the basics of sound. Mm-hmm. So that's my niche. Yeah, I do that probably better than a lot of engineers would because they're going to assume too much to begin with. And they don't yeah. know who the church volunteer is. I went out with Sure one time with our expert guy. I'm not going to name him, but he's famous at Sure for education. He's written articles for them. He's an applications engineer. He's a rocket scientist, basically. He's an aerophysicist. Well, <laughs> he went out and did a class with me at a church to teach them about microphones. One of the first things I ever did at Sure. As soon as he opened his mouth, everybody in the room was glazing over. They had mm-hmm. no idea what he was talking about. The physics and math of it, they don't care about how to build the watch. They want to know what time it is. Right. That's what I'm trying to teach. Yeah. So I guess that's the difference. Sure. 
So that's great. That, and that makes total sense. Just like I'm a, I'm a guitar teacher. It's similar in this, in the sense that a lot of people, um, as musicians are incredible guitar players. I know tons of guys who are, will blow me out of the water any day of the week. Who've been playing a fraction of the time that I've been playing. And I've been playing most of my life. Um, <laughs> even though this is what I do for a living, but as a guitar teacher, they can't, they have no clue how to teach a student how to play guitar where this is what I've been doing for years and I'm really good at it, you know? So there's, there's performers and then there's teachers and then there's a hybrid of the two and I'm a hybrid of the two. And then there's guys, rocket scientists who know all the mathematician aspects of it, of building a microphone and what it does. Right. There's a musician who can, sing into a mic and understands what it's supposed to do. And then there's a guy like you who can explain it that to an audience without right. their eyes glazing over. So, um, so we're similar in that, in that sense and in, in two different areas. I, could, of the- I couldn't agree with you more. My wife is a vocal coach and some of the things we go to, they have the, uh, the celebrated singers teaching classes. And a lot of them are teaching such wrong things that hurt the voice rather than help the voice. My wife is all about singing for a lifetime and creating healthy singing uh, applications. And some of these people like adding adding air to the tone. Hey, I want to sing like this. Right. That's one, <laughs> one of the worst things you can do to the voice. So you have this really well-known singer maybe who's teaching kids how to sing stylistically that's damaging to them. Mm-hmm. Or a basketball coach. You know, the best basketball coaches weren't great basketball players. <laughs> right. But they could see the game. And know how to strategize and plan defense, offense. It's the same thing. Yeah. I think it's that's one of the things with producers as well. Yeah. Guys who are producing records yeah. and different, you know, different things like that is like producers not are not necessarily always musicians or or amazing musicians, but right. we understand how it all works together and how to put things together in a way yeah. that, you know, just like being a director, you know, TV or movie. Right. You know, like they're not the actor who's going to be on the screen doing it, but they know how to get the actor to say what they want it to say to make it come across to the audience what it needs to be, right? That's exactly right. And creating yeah. that environment where the, the musicians are able to be creative and create, you know, as opposed to like dictating what they need to do all the time. You think yeah. of Quincy Jones was a visionary, but he had Bruce Swedeen as his engineer who could pull off all the vision of what he was trying to produce. Ted T, he's not a great musician great producer. Dave yeah. Leonard, he's both. He's a great musician and he's a great producer, you know, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how many years were you with sure? Seven, seven years. Yeah. When I got let go, um, I had just one employee of the month the year before they let me go. Oh, well. <laughs> and, uh, Leanne Albrecht, I don't know if you know her, Carl Albrecht's wife. She called me and said, how many years were you with sure? And I said, seven. She goes, yeah. You know what that is in scripture? That's a year of completion. Mm. So it's time for you to plow new fields. Mm-hmm. What I did was I still had 25. This was in May of 2009 that they let me go. I had 25 events left on the calendar year to complete for sure. I said, you're letting me go, but who's going to do these events now? We've kind of obligated ourselves. We've committed to them. This is why you're going to have to call them all up and tell them you won't be coming, right? I said, I guess so, if that's what you want me to do. You don't want to fulfill them yourself after I'm gone? No. Okay. I called them all up. Without exception, every one of the conference directors or coordinators said, Doug, we never cared about sure. What can you do to get here to teach? That's what we want. Mm -hmm. 
And that's when the light came on. Yeah. Right after that phone call, the last one, Audio Technica called me out of the blue. I know it was providential. It was by design. He knew it was going to happen. I didn't. I was worried, anxious. And yeah. AT said, we like what you're doing. We can't hire you full time. Do you have any way that we can work together? And that's when the whole thing started to roll out. Maybe I can become an independent market development specialist. I already have the events. I just need to find the support. Just like a missionary who's going back to Africa. He has to visit some churches to get the support he needs to to create disciples. And uh, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not just trying to teach audio. I'm trying to teach people how a privileged job it is to be at the sound console or on the platform, bringing the word of God and praise to God. And uh, yeah. it, the mission didn't stop, and it's still going on, even though the pandemic tried to ruin it all. So, Once you started going out on your own and working with Audio-Technica and doing – so this is – when you're doing Audio-Technica and the conferences, are you doing this – this is not Worship MD quite yeah. yet – but this it, is Worship it, MD. It is Worship MD now, yes. I, I created that name because I took what Sure had called me, Market Development Manager, and turned that into Worship Market Development. So I'm not the worship doctor. It's Worship <laughs> Market Development. Because <laughs> okay. a lot of people probably ask you that question, right? All the time. And I'm not yeah. going to come in and diagnose your church. Yeah. I'm not going to throw a sheet over it and say, you're done. <laughs> I'm here yeah. to develop a relationship between who I'm working for and the church. That's what it is. Okay. Now, this is going to be a really random question that has nothing to do with with music itself. But I was looking on your website and I was looking at your logo. And you know, you got the W in the box with a little water drop that looks like above it and then a little MD. So, and you're like, why is he asking me this question? Well, because <laughs> For for those of us that that are in music and we're doing music for a living, you know, in whatever area that we're doing in, and we're creating a brand of ourselves, you know, for our company, we have to put something out there that the that the audience or subscribers or whoever, mm -hmm. um, you know, can relate to us and understand who we are based off of whatever that logo is, because that's what we're creating a branding. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so why did you create this particular logo for Worship MD? Like, is there a specific thing that that's supposed to relate to? Or is it just, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. To tell you the truth, I had very little to do with the creating of the logo. <laughs> okay. I had a friend named Joel Clamper, who's a worship pastor up in Rhode Island. He's also a graphic artist. And I said, you got some logo ideas for me? And uh, he came up with that one, and I liked it. It just It just looked stuck. good. So that yeah. was it. <laughs> okay. And that's fine. I mean, there doesn't have to be some grand design behind it. No, right. Um, yeah. And a lot of people, sometimes there is. Sometimes there's a very specific thing that people are trying to create. And sometimes it's just, hey, this looks good. Yeah. Um, you know, my Edenbrook music logo for my company um, is three color dots that kind of have a mid-mod color look to them. And and it's odd that my, my daughter asked me just a few days ago, it's like, why, or is my wife one of the two, you know, what are the three dots for? And I had to think about it for a second because I couldn't remember. It's been so long ago since I created them. I was like, well, the three dots represent us. I mean, it's my, our family. There's three of us, you know, and I love mid-mod colors, you know, and it just kind of had a cool look to it. So that's what I went with. There wasn't any grand design behind it, but I love the way that looked. And right. so that's, that's the logo for my 
you know, my company. Right. And sometimes it sometimes it's just that simple. So what's the reaction when you're doing um, when you're doing conferences? Because are you specifically only doing worship or doing churches nowadays, or do you still work with other venues outside of the church? Or is it? I know it's mainly the church, but it's focused on church. And whether or not it's at a conference or at a particular church that hires me or mm-hmm. me and my wife to go and help them with a for like a weekend seminar with their their staff. Um, it's still church related that way, but I've had retailers ask me to come in to help them focus on the church. So as a consultant, Line 6 hired me to uh, consult with them. How did we reach the church with our wireless microphones? Um, so I consulted them for a day. Uh, Sweetwater has had me in to teach GearFest, which is not necessarily a church thing. But my workshops were church-oriented within the context of GearFest. Then they had another one called Worship Connect. I've done one for – there's a group of retailers uh, that are independent, but they buy as a group. Uh, And I've done seminars for them to show them how to maybe to create maybe a rehearsal space for churches to come into their – Stores, maybe after hours, like on a Thursday night, set up a quiet stage within your monitors, electronic drums, line six or some amp modeling, and show them how to create quiet stage environments for their churches. And then just get in your Google Maps. And within 25 miles of you, there's probably going to be 100 churches that you can call up directly and say, hey, we we want to invite you to come and, and try out the stuff. It'll be yours alone. There'll be nobody else in the store. And uh, so I've done some things like that for churches to help them connect to churches. Don't be afraid of the church. There's still a lot of manufacturers that do this to the church. And there's other manufacturers who actually have hired full-time house of worship liaisons to help them. Yamaha has had one for a while. It's Brett Armstrong at Yamaha. It's Golden Preciado at QSC. It's Samantha Potter at Allen & Heath. So you've got specific people and big manufacturer companies that have dedicated in fact Sweetwater itself of the 520 sales engineers that they have on the phones 125 of them are dedicated to house of worship wow that's crazy yeah they send out four times a year a hundred thousand thick catalogs on their stuff they're really devoted and they've been showing up more and more at worship conferences to try to deepen that road and uh, mm-hmm. so can you talk about what kind of give us like a oh, 30,000 foot view of what you do when you're when you're working with uh, a, specifically a church I'll say that okay. as opposed to a conference right now right can you kind of go into some detail about, okay, this is what it looks like when I go in and work with a church. This is what I'm teaching them. This is how we're kind of what we're focusing on. This is how we're kind of doing specific things. Um, Can you give us some, some insight into that? Yeah. Before I go to the church, I'm going to ask for some qualifications of the personnel that I'm going to be working with. Okay. How long have these people been doing this? What is their full-time occupation? Just from that, Somebody's been mixing for 15 years at a church, but they're a full-time plumber or a cop or a school teacher. Mm-hmm. I know that they're not a full-time sound guy. 
So even right. though they've been mixing for 15 years, they could be mixing 15 years the wrong way. Right, sure. I don't know. And sometimes you have an old curmudgeon who doesn't even allow you to get near his soundboard. Sometimes it's a young tech newbie who's just so hungry. He wants to, he's like a sponge. He'll take everything mm -hmm. in. So I asked some qualifying questions on what they know about audio first. Same thing with the worship team. I'll ask them how many have played in bands professionally, how many have been in recording studios. So I have some kind of semblance of who I'm going to be working with. And I think it's if it's time for a review, because that's what I call it, let's review. Let's not teach you these things. I want to see where you guys are at. And I want to not give you information that you already know, but I want to find out where you're at so when we go forward, you'll take away something from it, right? Sure. Yeah. So that's the first thing I'll do in the morning as I do that. I, I review. I ask some questions. Everybody know what a high-pass filter is? If none of the hands go up, even with the guy for 15 years, I'm going to start there. If they're all raising their hand for every question I says, I can move on. Yeah. The afternoon, I like to bring the band in because I like to see what the communication is like between platform and the booth. How are they communicating? Are they friends? Do they know each other? Do they like each other? Or is it, hey, you back there, can you push up fader three? Then I, I know there's some problems in communication. This looks like on the road. There might be the most talented sound guy that you have uh, with your band touring. But if he's a jerk, he's not going to be lasting very long. Mm -hmm. They'll get somebody with less talent who's easy to work with. Yep. I try to stress relationship and get outside of your environs here and get together more. Have a devotional together. Have a small group worship tech devotion instead of a men's group or a woman's group on Wednesdays. You guys get together. It doesn't have to be all the time. Yeah. Um, and then hang out. That's what I love about worship conferences. When teams can come to an affordable conference, they can come together and get some bonding done together as a team because they're outside of their church. You don't make friends at work. You make friends outside of work. And then if you work with them, you're friends. So, right. Uh, so then I look at that. I, I do a proper sound check training with them. How do we sound check? How do we optimize the microphone's input so it works well with the mixer? Uh, high pass, mixing with groups, put things into groups. So I can mix with fewer faders. Tell them like I can do a whole show with two faders, band and vocal. Even if that's all you have. So that's what I do. It's a, it's a basic overall training of the team and then technical aspects and some musical aspects. Yeah. I mean, is it typically a one day event? Do you, is it a weekend event or? It could be a Friday night. So I get to hear the worship team with the sound guys beforehand, uh -huh. just as a listener Yeah, and observe, not say anything until Saturday morning. Okay. And then all day Saturday. And then sometimes okay. come back and debrief to see how they did after the training on Sunday morning. Sometimes it's okay. a whole weekend. Sometimes if it's local, it's just one day. Okay. And lately, it's all been about streaming. It hasn't even been about live because the streams are so awful. Yeah. But the problem is not just the equipment, having a separate room and all that. It's like, I can't find one guy to mix front of house. Where am I going to find another guy to mix a broadcast mix? Right. It's two different things. <laughs> Can you can you talk a little bit the, about the difference in a live mix versus a stream mix? Sure. Yeah. Well, you yourself know as a performing musician, when you're in the room, certain things don't have to be reinforced as much because they're in the room. Drums, they're already going to be loud. Right. Right? Guitars. As much as I want that guy to turn down his Vox AC30, it's still mixed so much in the house I can't even get it in the mix for the system. 
because he's too loud. So if I look at my console, the louder instruments in the room, their fader positions are going to be much lower than where the vocals are. So a lot of people, what they do in a stream is they stream their front of house mix to a device. It's going to Facebook or YouTube or whatever, and they haven't accounted for the room differences. So the mixes sound thin, no bottom end, no drums, vocal heavy. So I said, the first thing you can do to make that better is to add a pair of room mics or more and add that to your stream mix. If you have nothing else to do, you're the only guy who can mix, you don't have a separate room, a separate mixer, all of that stuff, just add the room back into that mix and that will help a lot. Mm. Think of hearing Frampton comes alive without the audience and it's, it's just not the same thing. <laughs> right, So, sure. But the, the, when we go to steps beyond that, some people are using an iPhone, some people are using a, a, uh, an aux mix, but how do you do an aux mix and a front of house mix and monitor it at the same time if you're one guy? So I try to give them some tips on if it's one person mixing everything, here's some things you can do. If you go to the next step, get a separate room, even a janitor's closet. Maybe you can use an iPad. You have a digital mixer. You can use an, an app to make your stream mix, or you can use a hardwired monitor mixer like an Avium or a P16, that could be your monitor mixer. You don't have to go out and buy another Digico or an SSL for your broadcast mix. So, But there's steps along the way. And I try to give them step one, step two, step three. So if you're here, you can go here. If you're here, you can go here. And uh, just improve. What can I do to make it better? In fact, uh, there was uh, a couple months ago, there was nothing going on for conferences. So I watched 15 church streams from the Trenton area, and they were all awful. So I said, that's it. I'm going to make an ad, local Facebook thing, and say, I'm going to teach a class every Tuesday night for three hours a night on how to make your streams better. And I got pretty good attendance. The streams have gotten a little better. A little. Good. Yeah. <laughs> little is better than nothing. Yeah. A so, little can go a long way when, when it starts off really bad. Right. Yeah. In fact, the next three conferences I'm teaching, I have a dedicated class called How to Improve Your Audio Stream. I'm not a video guy, so I'm not going to tell you anything about Blackmagic or the Canon or Panasonic cameras you're using or your editing. I'm not about that. But if we watch a stream and the video is 4K, but the audio is awful, you're still going to mm -hmm. turn it off. Yeah. So I, if I can't hear it, I'm going to find somewhere else I can hear it. Sure. Um, um, when you are going out and doing these things, um, seminars or conferences or whatever, when you're working with churches specifically, what's the ratio? I mean, at, at this point in your career, I know it's I know it's going to be lopsided that you got more people reaching out to you than you reaching out to people to come do it for them. But you know, how often do people do churches reach out to you to ask you to come do something with them as opposed to you reaching out? to people nowadays yeah, and saying, Hey, can I come to your church? Right. Does that make sense? That's what they do. They usually ask me that at a conference. Okay. So they'll say, boy, we got a lot out of your classes, but you know, at a conference, there's only three workshops and you know, it's helpful, but it's not yeah. like being at our church with our gear, with our people. So can you come? And I said, well, where do you live? Oh, I live in Boise, Idaho. Oh, I live in Princeton, New Jersey. You know, it's going to cost me to fly out there to see you. Um, I could probably find somebody near you that could help you. Now, maybe it won't be the same as me coming. Maybe it'll be better. I don't know. But I started uh, putting together a few years ago, and I've never pulled the trigger on it. 
but I know about 400, 500 techs around the country who I would qualify as being like-minded to me and know as much or more than I do. And I was going to create a network called EMT. I'm the MD. Right. <laughs> that would have educating ministry technicians around the country that if somebody was in Boise, I probably would be able to find them somebody within 50 miles to help them. Okay. And then I was going to monetize that by taking just a percentage of whatever they charged for their services. But I never pulled the trigger. I never put the website together. It's just, I get all the texts. They're waiting. They keep asking me, are you ever going to do anything with this? Well, during the pandemic, it would have been useless to try that anyway, because everything was locked down. But now mm -hmm. it might be a good time to rethink it. And I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. So anyway. I think you should do that. Um, now, is there a reason why you you yourself what, don't go all, all over the country to do it yourself now if someone calls you? No, no. I just did a church three months ago in Salt Lake City. They were willing to pay the flight, the rental car, the hotel, and then pay me my fee for two okay. days. <laughs> so yep. there are still some churches that I don't care what it costs. We want you to come. Sure. Um, so I'll do it if they're – but I, I'm trying to save – I'm trying to make them realize what it's going to cost them. That's yeah. an expensive proposition to do that. You sure I can't find somebody else to help you? My brother lives in Las Vegas. He's a believer. He runs down a church. He's like a five-hour drive from them. I said, I could send my brother up. He said, no, we want you. Okay, mm -hmm. well, I'll still bring my brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and his church. Well, but you built there, so, what's that? You built a, re a reputation. You know, you built a reputation for yourself and what you do. And so people trust. They, once they hear you at a conference, you know, they're like, okay, that's the guy. I don't want that guy. And we don't want anybody. And I understand that. I yeah. totally get that. Um, there, a lot of times, that's the way that I am. There are specific people that I want to talk to at a company that I know, and I've heard them. I related with them in some some form or fashion. And once that person is in my brain, that's the only person that I want. I don't trust anyone else as much as I'm going to trust that person. Yeah. And whether that that's true or not, in reality, that's what is in our, in our minds, you know, so it's hard to break that sometimes. I think it is. I'm about ready to get, I'm going to be 70, uh, in October and, uh, my hearing has been hurting for a while. So my wife who's been wearing hearing aids for a long time, finally convinced me to go for my hearing tests the other day. And it's bad. It's really bad. Mm. So I'm getting hearing aids, yeah. but her doctor, she trusts implicitly. And when we walked into the office, there was an intern there. And my wife says, no, we don't want to see you. We want to see Dr. Brady. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think she was put off, but it's just the way it is. We don't want yeah. somebody who's learning how to do it with my husband. I want the real thing. Yeah. And it isn't so much my technical skill or any of that. I think it's more my heart for people that uh, I just have a heart to help people. And, sure. uh, and But there's plenty of people out there that know a lot more than I do. And maybe would be better served in some ways, but. I guess they they see the the ministry part of me more than sure, than that. and then a lot of guys who teach sound too, they're teaching it in a vacuum. I read these articles about how to make a better mix, and they never mention the band. <laughs> yeah. Well, how do I get a good mix if the band is not good? If the source doesn't sound good, if the singer's out of tune, if there's no new strings on the guitar, if the drum heads have never been changed, sure. What you can't do that in a vacuum. It's a it's a dovetail thing. The mm -hmm. sound person is a fifth element of the band. The room is part of the band. I mean, I can't do things just from a mixer or in a box. 
So it's holistic. My, my approach is holistic. I have to have everybody there, team of the band, the team of the sound guys. Some people in the church would be nice to show the sound changes. but That makes total sense. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. Can you, can you tell us if somebody wants, somebody's listening to this podcast and they're like, okay, we want Doug Gould, Worship MD to come to our church or our venue. It doesn't even have to be a church. Right. You know, I know that's that's the main focus, but just you know, we trust this guy. We've listened to him now, and we're familiar with who he is. Knew about him beforehand, even before he's on this podcast. And but we need someone to come, and we want you to come and be and teach us how to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. How much does it cost for Worship MD to come do a seminar? at a church, like a one, like the one or two day weekend right. event, not, not, not counting the travel cost, but just the event itself. How much does that cost? You know, again, I, I look at the church and what they can afford. My, it's not really a riding scale. Okay. Like if it's a church, I know that's kind of small and hurting for money. I'll charge a hundred dollars an hour. So if it's like a weekend thing, I might charge 1500 bucks from Friday to Sunday, something like that. Okay. Plus expenses. If okay. it's a local church, you know, I might do it for like less than that. If it's right down the road, I'll do it for five hundred bucks for the day because that's nothing. I just go there and. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a set rate. I'm not charging yeah. three hundred dollars an hour for eight hours, anything like that. Okay. So. Well, I think just people want to know to be familiar with, yeah. uh, you know, to kind of know ahead of time. Okay, this we can afford this. We can't afford this. What can we do to make this work? You know, could we negotiate if, you know, yep. do you have some yep. flexibility if we're close, but we're not quite there and, you know, that kind of stuff. You so. know what else I try to tell them to do, which helps them a lot. And my wife does the same thing. Sometimes we teach together. She's a vocal coach. So I teach the, the techs and the worship team. She's working with the vocalist and we do like a team, team rate. But yeah. what we also try to do if we're both invited is say, look, this is not going to be for three or four months. Do you think you'd want to take some time to promote? to your community that you're going to have us there. And then maybe you can charge like $25 a person to come to your own local conference. That'll help offset your costs significantly. And a lot of people have done that. So they create their own little worship community conference for people of churches in the area to come. Sometimes there are a group of churches in the same, you know, not denomination necessarily, but same family, like Mm -hmm. abundant life in New Jersey. They have like 12 churches. So we do a conference for them called Joy Songs, and they all come together. And Sovereign Grace, Bob Coughlin, a similar thing. Sovereign Grace churches come to his national conference. But when you you know localize that, it becomes very effective way for them to have training for everybody in that area, not just their church. And that's still you coming. Yeah. Them, them bringing you in, but yeah. then they're getting other churches involved right. yeah. to help offset the cost. Yeah. 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 That's great. Um. Man, this is so good. Thank you for for sharing this. Uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out and and have you come? Okay, well, my worship my my website's being reconstructed right now. It's kind of dated. Let it kind of go to seed uh, over the pandemic. But my son's a, a graphic designer, content creator, and he's working on a new website for me right now. But until then, they can reach me at Doug at worshipmd.com. Okay. Or worshipmd at gmail.com. Okay. Or my phone number. I have one phone number. 609-273-5397. They can call me. 
You're a brave man for putting a phone number out there in the yeah, public. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what you do. I get it. I get so much spam now. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, and worshipmd.com. Is that that's yeah, the website? It, it, that's a website. It's being re- like I said, if you look at it, it's going to be kind of old. My articles are on there, which are useful. You'll see yeah. EMT up in the corner, but it hasn't been launched. Um, okay. And there's some videos on there. But the okay. my clients right now are different. I'm still doing worship artist relations for Martin Guitar. Okay. They hired me back after letting me go when the pandemic was happening because Martin was shut down for two years. They couldn't make any guitars. Um, so they didn't need an artist relations person, obviously. <laughs> there was no touring going on. Yeah. Um, I'm doing Heil microphones. I'm doing AEA ribbon microphones. And I'm doing Mackie right now. So the clients on my website are different. And uh, they would see that, that that's not what he said on the podcast. And that's why. That's all okay. being changed right now. So let me ask you this. When you're talking about doing artist relations, mm-hmm. you're the person. That's that's you saying, I'm the person that goes out and represents Martin Guitars or Mackie you know, Electronics, whatever, and going and getting artists and musicians to to represent us yeah. in what they do as their career. Yep. We're sponsoring them, basically. Yep. That's, um, part, that's part of it, yeah. So how do you go about that? How do you as an artist relations person for these companies, how do you reach out to an artist or musician to say, Hey, we want you to be the guy that, you know, is promoting our, our product. And you get in, you know, does that, does that mean for them? Now I personally know, but for the audience, does that mean that the, the artist or the musician, they get to get to use those products for free? Do they get it for a cost or what does that mean? to do all that kind of stuff. Uh, Cause I haven't had a, I haven't had a chance to talk with someone from your perspective, who's actually the artist relations person for the company. I've talked to the artists who have been trying to get deals with guys mm-hmm. like you, but to hear it from your perspective, what does that look like? Okay. So first off, remember that you asked me about the logo, if that was my idea or not. Right. <laughs> Same thing happened with Martin. Okay. I don't play guitar. Okay. <laughs> I play keyboards. Yep. But I'm a, I come from the audio side of the industry more than the music side, even though I'm a musician. So when I was interviewing clients at NAMM show one year, I interviewed with Bose, this big speaker manufacturer. Oh, yeah. I'll, I use Bose. And Mitch Nolman was one of the executives. And Mitch Nolman wanted me to come on work for him, but I decided I would opt for Korg instead because Korg had a wider breadth of products. They had keyboards, they had Marshall, they had Vox AC30s, they had high, they had uh, HK Element speaker systems, synthesizers and keyboards were my thing. Right. And they had some speakers too. So I said, I think I'm going to go with Korg. So they got kind of ticked off at me because I initially accepted, but then rejected, went with Korg. Years later, I get a call from Mitch Nolman. I knew he had been canned at Bose six months after I refused the job, and he ended up somewhere. And then I didn't know where he went. And he calls me one day. He says, Doug, are you still doing that worship thing? (laughs) I said, worship thing? Yeah, I'm still doing that worship thing. He goes, Taylor is kicking our fanny in the worship market. And I said, no, they're not. He said, what do you mean? I says, just watch videos, man. All the main guys are playing Martins. He's like, who? I says, like Hillsong? Hill who? Mm-hmm. Elevation? 
Gateway, Bethel, Jesus Culture, Shane and Shane, they're all playing Martins. See, my job as artist relations is not just to introduce a brand to this community that they want to reach. My job for you as Martin Guitars is to also show you who the champions are that are already playing your instruments so that you don't have a clue who they are. So right. case in point, I said, you've got an Eric Clapton, you've got a John Mayer signature. Let's see how many views they have on YouTube. 70 million, 80 million. That's great. How about this little girl? You ever heard of Brooke Liquorwood? No. Ever heard of, you never heard of Hillsong? Well, she was part of Hillsong. This is a song called What a Beautiful Name. I want you to look at how many views she has. 500 million. And their jaws dropped. And she was playing an Eric Clapton in the video. Yeah. I said she owns nothing but Martins. She has a Paul Simon vintage. She has a she has an Eric Clapton. Her first guitar ever given to her was a Martin. They said, you got to bring her to the factory. She brought her to the factory, sat her down, design team met with her, and they designed a Brooke Liquorwood signature guitar, which just came out in February. Natural or sunburst. <laughs> She's only the ninth female artist, I believe, to have a signature. That's cool. And they're selling. I just I just sold one at Soulfest. I had a sample in my booth, and another artist named James Collington bought my sample, Brooke Liquorwood, from me. Um, but they had no clue who she was. I guess that's the point. And since then, if I'm at a conference, I'll have you know five, six Martins in my booth for anybody to play. But then I'm going backstage and talking to artists, and they're coming back and seeing me about what it will take to get them up a Martin that they might want. And it's a, it's a significant deal for artist pricing. Nothing's for free. They don't give away guitars, uh, but they get a significant discount below what probably any retailer would give you. Right. And it, um, I've, I've talked, I don't know how many I've sold to Shane and Shane to Bethel. I think they have 20 OM 21s now, <laughs> all the same model. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, Brian Johnson plays one, uh, gateway, nothing but a Martin house, um, elevation, Chris Brown bought two from me, uh, Tony Brown from house fires, Nate Moore bought one. Uh, so they all call me when they want stuff. David Leonard and Franklin, the Creek is a studio, uh, Ted T bought a couple from me. So, yeah, you know, the word gets out, and that's that's what this all is. I mean, I'm not out there advertising, come to me to buy a Martin. But if an artist talks to another artist, oh, you, you need to talk to Doug, and he'll get you hooked up. With AEA, it's pretty much the same thing because it's a high-end ribbon mic. You're talking thousand to you know four or five thousand dollar microphones that are going to be found in studios. So what I do there is I just try to connect them to the manufacturer. They usually send a demo kit of the mics where they can audition them, and they end up buying them. I've only been with AEA a very short time, but I've already sold like probably four or five of their ribbons in a month. <laughs> uh, and that's a significant discount for artists too. For Heil and Mackey, it's more the church consumer electronics thing. And I'm teaching audio classes using their equipment in my workshops. So Okay. It's all over the place. Sure. Um, when when someone is, when an artist or musician is like, okay, I really want Martin. You know, I want to be a Martin guitar player. I want to be endorsed by Martin guitars. Yeah. They're, they reach out to you to make that happen. Yeah. What do you, when someone reaches out to you and it's not 
elevation. It's not Gateway. It's not who you know Bethel who, or Shane Shane or whoever. It's not someone that you are familiar with. What does it take for you as artist relations for Martin Guitar or these other companies to to say to the artist, okay, we'll you know yeah we'll bring you on board and we'll you'll be an endorsee of you'll you'll be you're going to endorse our brand and we're going to give you a discount on these products. Do you have something that tells you? okay, we're going to bring this person on or do you ever say, no, we're not interested or how does that work? Yeah, I guess I look at the specifics. I mean, if they're not signed by some published deal or something, like if they're not a recording artist, I might look at some other things to see if they would qualify. And when when we say endorse, we're not really endorsing anybody per se because Martin doesn't put restrictions on what you can play. If we sell you a Martin, that doesn't mean sure. you can't play your Taylor, your Gill or your Gibson. Right. So you're not exclusive with us. So they list certain artists that they think are playing Martins that are influencers like Brooke, like Mac Powell. He's not even really a guitar player. He's a singer, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know Mac. He's been on the podcast. <laughs> but like David Cleveland, he's done videos for me. So I've, I've, uh, I've given him Martin deals when he's wanted them. If you're a full-time worship pastor and you don't make a lot of money, I'll probably find some way of getting your Martin at close to the artist pricing. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want every worship leader in America now calling me up and saying, hey, can you <laughs> give me the artist deal? No, right. but I have connections with retailers who like Sweetwater, like AMS, some of those companies who know me, I send them people and they give a discount for mm. those folks. So Okay. That's cool. Um, now, thank you, you for-, for yourself, call me. Sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I might hit you up on that. So. And that's one of the beauty, one of the beautiful things about relationships and connecting with people. And we talk about this all the time on this podcast, all the time, is that this industry is built on relationships. Yep. Everything is relational in this industry. And so, um, though I'm not having you on here in the hopes that would say, <laughs> hey, I, I didn't even know that you did artist relations for Martin guitar before this wow. conversation. Yeah. So I was not by def I was definitely by no means having you on the show, hoping that you would say, Hey, if you needed a guitar for Martin guitars, let me know and I'll get you a deal. <laughs> that being said, thank you. But that, you know, I appreciate that. And, and that's one of the great things about the relationship aspect of the music industry is that once you start having a relationship with someone and you create some rapport with them and some trust, then you know, they're willing to offer things to you that you may not get otherwise. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Would you agree agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and I, I might hit you up on that. <laughs> I, have to, <laughs> I have to look at some some uh, financial things, but we'll figure that out. So, um, well, as we wrap up, and thank you. I mean, this has been great, wonderful information that I haven't got to talk about with some uh, with a lot of other people yet. So this is really cool to kind of get your perspective on these things. Um, but as we wrap up, what's some advice that you would give to to listeners that want to do what you have done, specifically in you know audio production and in in whether or not they want to be a sound a sound tech guy whether it be for a church or, or mainstream venue or whatever, mm -hmm. or they want to be, somebody wants to be a, an artist relations person for a company. Like I would love to be the artist relation guitar for, for Taylor guitars or mm -hmm. sure mics or whatever it is. Yep. Um, or somebody wants to go out and do 
seminars. Like I would love to go out and train people and work with churches or different venues and help teach just like you do. Right. If, for people that want to do that kind of stuff, what is the advice that you would give them to be successful at doing those things? Some do's, some don'ts maybe um, yeah. to make those things work for them. Okay. So first step is get networked. <laughs> you talking okay. about relationships? I wouldn't be yep. anywhere where I am today. It's not, it's not my audio or my music experience that's gotten me here. It's gotten me here because of how old I am and all the people I've met along the way who have helped me find opportunities. That's the only reason. I'm I'm not really, as I said before, I'm not the most skilled engineer or the most skilled musician, but my network and God have opened doors for me that I couldn't have gotten unless I had that network. That network's been ongoing and it's still expanding. Every time I go out and do something, my network gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's not necessarily a, a social media kind of network. You know, I have friends on Facebook that I've never met in my life. They come up to me, hey, Doug, how you been, man? Yeah. They go, who are you? Right. Your friend 4,902. I'm sorry I don't know your name. <laughs> yeah. I like the face-to-face. And that's why I don't like virtual teaching as much as I do like rubbing shoulders with people. You get mm-hmm. the body language, you get all of that stuff. And that that I feed on that. So talk to as many people, hang out with as many people that you respect or just want to come alongside of and be a shadow. Be willing to do anything to try to, to glean and learn from these people and make friends in the process. So start there. And then whatever you're you're leaning toward to in terms of like, whether it's music or whether it's production and a studio or a live thing, try to find some opportunities that are going to help you in that. Is there a local recording studio that you can hang out with, which are rare now? You know, everybody's doing it home studio thing. Was there a kid, you know, who produces music in his house? Hang out with him. Is there a community theater that you can hang out with? Is there a local band you might want to start or play with or jam with? I mean, I don't even know why churches who have musicians don't have jam nights once in a while. Not just a worship rehearsal, but just a time to come together and have fun playing music together. And that creates camaraderie. That creates relationship, those kind of things, as opposed to, all right, we're doing song one, song two, song three. Let's get it done and let's get out of here and be back Sunday. It's it's not the same thing. Sure. So uh, network experiences, local. Local becomes more... Uh, regional, regional becomes more national, national becomes more global. And one thing leads to, I have friends all over the world. I taught seminars in Peru. I've taught them in Italy. I've taught them in London. I have people over there that I know. It's crazy. And not, not because of me, but because of where God has led my steps to. And then you take advantage of those situations when you're there to say, what can I do to be, to serve these people that I'm here with? And that goes a long way. Be a servant always. Philippians 2, 1 to 11. Be humble. Think of others more than yourself. Christ did it to the point of death. He was a servant. He died for us. Mm-hmm. What can we do? We can't even bring water to the platform for the worship team? Come on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, thank you for thank you for that. I appreciate it. This has been a wonderful conversation and I appreciate you sharing your expertise with my audience and I'm hoping pray people will take what we've talked about here and uh, apply it to their lives and to their careers and to their churches and um, 
hopefully reach out to you and say, hey, I learned this from you off of this podcast. Wow. That would be super cool for me to, to hear from people to say, hey, I, I heard Doug on your podcast and we had him in or we learned this and from him and we've applied this to what we do now and it has made a huge difference to what, you know, what we do. That'd be amazing um, for me. So hopefully those types of things will take place. So thank you for being on the show today. I'm so grateful. My pleasure, man. It was a pleasure being with you and talking to you, getting to know you a little bit. And hopefully we can hang out sometime in the future when I'm in Nashville again. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye, man. All right, guys, there you have it. I hope you had a great time listening to our conversation today. I hope you take what we've talked about today and find ways to apply it to your career as well. Please be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. And please share it with all of your friends so that we can continue to get this message out to everyone around the world. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.